Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Samuel, and please say hi. Honestly, I would absolutely love the honor of getting to meet you, so don't disappear afterwards. We really absolutely love it. And let me just say, welcome. Hope uh, it's good to see you and hope I get to meet you. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different. On December 11, we're going to do something we have not done before um, here at Life West. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do um, a special offering. It's not a building fund, um, but here's what it is. is We've been looking and thinking, and, and we know a building is coming, and that's one of the things that we want to be ready for. Um, but we're also growing uh, we went to two services, and our kids' numbers jumped 30%. Um, so, so we're growing, and we're planning, and looking, and seeing. And one of the things is we want to be ready when opportunity comes. And honestly, the price of opportunity is preparation. So what we're doing is we're just trying to be ready to move on some land, some property, and some things for the kids, and to move forward on some youth stuff as well. We'd like to begin to do that. One of the things that we said from the very beginning when we started Life West Church is, we're not going to do something just to do it. We're going to wait till God brings the people and provides the resources. And so many people would ask, like, you're going to start a church, and what's it going to be like? And we'd say, well, we don't know. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, didn't God tell you? And I'm like, no, God told me very simply that he's going to give vision and we're going to serve people. And that vision was we're going to equip and empower people to be and do all that God has for them. So depending on who God brings, that'll depend on what we end up being like. If he brings a bunch of people who want to do missions, we're going to do missions all the time. If he brings, and what has he done? He's brought a whole bunch of people who love the kingdom and love building the church. And, and some of them are like, hey, we want to do little things. And so we try to help that happen. And we've got small groups. And, and as we grow, we'll see what God does in us and through us. But part of it is just being ready. So what I'm asking you is we want to be ready financially to do what God has for us. So I'm just asking you to pray and ask God. And if God lays something on your heart to give above and beyond, then do it. That's December 11. And that's it. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to beg. We don't do that. We don't need to. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he'll speak to you. All you have to do is ask. All right. Well, we're closing out a series this week. I know you never thought I would say it, but we actually are. And it's Chasing Giants. We've really been looking and really honing in on Joseph and what God did in and through him. And, and in particular, it's, it, Joseph is just awesome because you see his story. You see his family. You see all the trouble that his family had and his dad, he had, he had a bunch of stepbrothers and half-brothers and all of this. And, and, and then God speaks to him when he's 17, gives him these dreams about what's going to happen. And then we see Joseph begin or, or try to walk out what God laid on his heart to do, to be, to become. And we get to see the journey that Joseph goes on as God prepares him to be and do all that God wanted him to be. And we see these battles that, he's, that, he, that he fights, these tests that he takes. And we're going to start today in Genesis 45. And we're picking up the story. Joseph has already had the dreams. He's told his brothers about it, and his brothers get mad, and they don't like him, and they already didn't like him because he was dad's favorite. And they, they, they plan on killing him. 
But one of the brothers is like, no, let's not just kill him. Let's, let's throw him in a well instead. Let's throw him in a pit. So they throw him in a pit. Then they sell him as a slave because they're like, hey, if we kill him, like, because everybody, all the other brothers are like, we're not going to gain anything by killing him, but we can make some money if we sell him. So they literally sold their brother as a slave. He gets carried off to Egypt, and there the traders sell him, and he becomes a slave in a powerful man named Potiphar's house. But the Bible says that God was with Joseph, that Joseph served Potiphar well, and as a result, God saw, or excuse me, Joseph saw what God did through him, and Potiphar saw it and was like, wait a minute, everything that you put your hands to do is blessed. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put everything in your hands. And Joseph rises and ends up running all of Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife sees Joseph and is like, hey, you look good. Come over here. And Joseph's like, no, not happening, not happening. So she lies about him, and Joseph gets thrown in jail. So now he's in jail for doing nothing. He was sold as a slave because his brothers didn't like him, and oh my goodness, right? And he ends up getting, the same thing happens in prison. Same thing happens, which is, and you can read this all for yourself in Genesis, and I'm just catching you up if you haven't been here before, so we're going to jump in in just a minute here, because Joseph is in prison, and there, there's two. There are two men in prison. At that point, Joseph is running the prison, because if you're going to be in prison, might as well run it. God's with him and watching over him and giving him favor with people, even in horrible circumstances. Joseph's running the prison, and he notices that two of the people in the prison with him aren't, they're looking a little sad one morning, which you're like, they're in prison, seriously? But he's still thinking and caring for other people. So it was Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And each of them had a dream, and Joseph said, well, tell me your dreams because God can interpret them. So Joseph, God gives him the interpretation of the dreams. And one of them, he says, you're going to die, and the other one, he says, you're going to be restored in three days back to your position, but don't forget me. But he did. He forgot. It took two years, but then Pharaoh had a dream, and the cupbearer remembered, wait a minute, there was a guy in prison whose God could interpret dreams. So Joseph gets called up, and sure enough, Pharaoh tells him his dreams, and Joseph says, this is what they mean. God's told me. And so he, he tells Pharaoh the meaning of the dreams. And as a result, Pharaoh makes Joseph the second most powerful man in the world at the time. Egypt was the most powerful nation. So he gets 100, he, he gets absolutely, oh my goodness, he gets the serious promotion, right? Prison to palace, I'll take it. I'll take it. Absolutely. So there he is. And then something crazy happens. See, the famine that Joseph said was going to happen, he said this, is, this was the interpretation of the dreams. He says, there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And the famine is going to be so severe, you will not remember the seven years of plenty. So you had better prepare. And now what ends up happening is this. Joseph, who's second in command, in all of Egypt, is there. And one of the things that he would do sometimes was as people would come and need grain, because it wasn't just Egypt, it was the surrounding areas. This famine was huge. As people would come and try to buy grain, he would be the one that they would come to. And guess what happens? Joseph's brothers end up coming to buy grain. 
from Joseph. Now imagine with me for just one minute what that would look like. If the brothers that sold you into slavery show up, not just on your doorstep, but they show up to the country that you rule, that your word is law in. The Bible says that that Joseph was second to Pharaoh only in the fact that Pharaoh sat on the throne. It uses the language to even say that Joseph became a father to Pharaoh, that he was just like, he got it all done, that God's blessing was on him, his, God's favor was in and working through him so strongly that Pharaoh's like, why? I can't do it better than he can. He, just, he did it all. So if Joseph wanted to, whatever he wanted to do to his brothers would be done. He wouldn't have to do it unless he wanted to. Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery show up. Come on. How how many of you are like, oh, come on, let's get even time. It's like, here here we go. Going to toy with them a little bit. There's a few honest people in here that are like, yes, I would. Absolutely. You sold me into slavery. I was in prison. Do you know? Oh, Oh, but here's where we go. Joseph doesn't do that. There's a few tests that he gives his brothers, and you can read about those in Genesis 39 and 40, but we're going to jump right into Genesis 45, and this is when Joseph decides to tell his brothers who he is. Genesis 45, verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, send them away from me. So none of them were there. It was just Joseph and his brothers. So none of them were there when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the, all the, that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household soon heard of it. So Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am the Joseph. Is my father still alive? But the, they were unable to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. So now just think about it just, just for a minute from his brother's point of view. Imagine you sold your brother into slavery, and now he's the ruler, and you're in his throne room. And he's like, by the way, I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. What would your heart do? Just boom, boom, boom. You're like, oh my goodness. I'd be looking around like, "Am am I standing on a trap door? Is he about to unleash a lion? Like, what is going on? Because I know what I deserve. Because I know what I did. These are the brothers that sold him into slavery and then told their father, I guess they didn't actually say the words, he was dead. They took Joseph's coat, dipped it in blood, and gave it to their father and said, is this your son's? They, wouldn't, they, they were sneaky little suckers. They weren't like, well, we won't have to say that he's dead. We'll let dad assume. We'll imply it by what we bring, but we won't actually say it. That's what these guys do. So these are the brothers that show up. You can imagine what they're feeling. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they did so. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. Just just hear him say that. You would just be like, oh no, oh no. And verse 5, and now do not be distressed and angry with yourselves that you sold me into this place. Because it was to save lives that God sent me before you. 
For the famine has covered this land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant on earth and to save your lives by this great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God who has made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his household and ruler over all that is in Egypt. Today and the final test that we're going to talk about is the forgiveness test. Do you look at that? Does anybody else read that right there and just be like, what in the world? How did Joseph do that? Like, did you hear what he said to his brothers? He literally said, it wasn't you that sent me here. It was God. Normally, I think God does good things. So what in the world? Now, as we talk about forgiveness, I want, I want to, how do you think Joseph was able to forgive his brothers? Because so far, it really looks like it to me. I can tell you one of the ways, and that's this, is that is the perspective that Joseph had about where he was and what had happened. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works it for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph looked at what had happened to him, and he didn't say, you ruined my life. He said, God used what you did to me, and look at the good that came out of it. What you meant for evil, God used for good. He realized, yeah, what you did was evil, but God used it for good. One of the amazing things about Joseph is simply his faithfulness to be faithful. Joseph just, it didn't matter what was happening to him. When we see him end up in Egypt, he just serves God right where he is, wherever he is, and just does it. He's like, yep, God, I'm going to do it. Now I'm in prison. I'll do it here. Here we go. Now I'm Lord over all. And oh my goodness, what would you do when you could do anything to anyone? I remember when I was a really little kid, um, there, was, there was a couple of secretaries at, at my dad's church that were just mean. Okay, they were they were just mean, and I'm, and I just remember just being like, "Oh my goodness, you're so mean." And I remember thinking when I was a really little kid, like one day, one day when I work here, I'm gonna fire you. <laughs> okay, that was just my thought. I don't I don't know why, but that was that was just it. There was just these. There was really two of them, and one of them she she wasn't actually a secretary. She was just the lady that worked in the kitchen, and. And, and she was just mean. She had, like, the gift of, of just mean. Like, that was, she was, she was just mean. And it wasn't just me as a kid. Every, everybody knew it. Her name was Annie. And she ran that kitchen, and you went in it without her permission or went in the outdoor, and she would light you up. Didn't matter who you were. All the time, she was just mean. And, of course, I grew up and realized, like, she was a volunteer. She didn't actually work there. But I remember thinking, like, one day and when I can and if I can and if the only reason that I, I want to is to fire you. Like, like, just as a little kid, just be like, ugh. Joseph doesn't do that. He keeps a perspective the entire time 
that God can use where he is. And if we honestly, if we look at where Joseph was, we see that God used it to prepare him perfectly for where he needed to be. Joseph gets to Egypt and he ends up in Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar was the captain. So guess what? Potiphar's running and he's, he's, Potiphar's house is filled with luxury and excess. And, po- and Joseph runs the whole house and he sees how much excess there is. He sees what's going on. He's feeding everybody in the house, all the food, everything that's happening, all of the servants. He's a part of all of it. Then he gets thrown into jail, but he ends up running the jail. So what does he do there? He's overseeing what? Again, food. And where everybody's in jail, but guess what he's finding out? He knows exactly how much you need to live on. He knows what it takes to sustain a life, not just fill a belly. Not just what my appetite wants. Anybody's appetite or eyes ever bigger than your stomach? Thanksgiving is coming. I'm just warning you right here. Yes, absolutely. He, he knows all of that. So guess what? When Joseph ends up getting the promotion and now he's running Egypt, what did he do? He said, for those first seven years, he said, we need to take and we are going to gather and we're going to store grain so we're ready. He knew how much it would take. He, uh, he knew it all. Where he was prepared him and gave him the knowledge, the skills, the things that he needed to be able to do what God had called him to do. And in hindsight, you can look at that stuff and be like, that's pretty cool. But that's where we get to see it. Unless God in the moment shows you, we don't see how God uses the things we went through until we let God use them. And in hindsight, we look back and we're like, oh my goodness, look at what God did. Look at how he used me here and there and there. When I was a kid, my, my dad was a pastor and I was at church all the time. Um, and honestly, I think the, the, the children's youth pastor at the time was like, I got to do something with this guy. He's, he's, he's just here. I, let's do something with him. Because if not, I'd run around, I'd climb things. We, broke in, we, we would break in and find the candy and take it during the week and climb up. And, and I, I was, I'd be up in the ceiling and there was stuff. I, I, they're like, we got to get this kid doing something. So he's like, here's, here's, here's what you can do. And he's got this, this soundboard thing stuff. And he says, do you think you can clean this mess up? And I said, yeah. So I walked up to it and it was, it was kind of messy. And I'm like, well, the best thing to do is unplug everything and then put it back together. So I just went to the soundboard and all this stuff and things. And I took all the cords out. Just all of them. I took all of them out. And, and Pastor Scott comes in. He goes, what are you doing? And I go, it was, you, you wanted me to clean it. He's like, that's not what I meant. I'm like, well, I'll fix it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just figured it out. And he's like, well, if you can do that, well, can you do this? And can you do this? And, and can you run sound for this? And can you set up some lights for this? And I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured it all out. And I just served because he's like, hey, can you do it? I was like, sure. So I did that all through, through high school. I didn't get paid for it. It's just kind of just what I did at church. So I went off to Bible college, and I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm going to school. And I get down there, and I need a job. So I started applying for this job and for that job, and they're like, well, what about your hours here? I'm like, well, I can install carpet, and they're like, well, how long are you going to be here? We, have, we don't like carpet installers that leave, and I'm like, what does that make a difference? Anyways, and so we're, we're and I'm just like, God, I'm not finding a job. And I end up as a bellman at a hotel, 
And I was like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do for a while. So I'm down there, and I'm doing that. And one day, one of the guys comes down the escalator, and they're like, hey, we need to help in this ballroom. we got to move some stuff around, and we get this a quick switchover. Can you come help us? I'm like, absolutely. So I run in there, and, and there's one guy setting up just a whole bunch of sound. And I walk over to him, because I just walked in, and I'm like, hey, um, do you need some help? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, he goes, do you know what you're doing? I go, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I set, up some, I set up some speakers and plugged them in and ran some stuff in the back and set up some lights and programmed some things. And then, then I just EQ'd a little bit and then I was done. I went back to my, my, my spot. And the guy comes out to me and he goes, hey. He goes, how, how did you do that? And I said, oh, I, that's what I, I did for my church. And he goes, why wasn't that on your resume? And I'm like, because it's just something I did for my church. And he's like, you know how to do? And I go, yeah, I can do all that. And he's like, you need to come work for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I end up working, and they take me away from Bellman, which is really good. And, then, and he's like, we'll do this. And they hire me to do that. And oh my goodness, I watched God show up and take care of me. The thing that I did just for fun and to try to be a blessing turned into a huge blessing to me. It opened doors, and I was able to work there. They were amazing. They gave me, I said, hey, I got this church thing going on. They gave me whatever hours I wanted. They're like, yeah, absolutely. You can have off for that, and we can switch this around. And, and oh, every morning you can have off. I left for the summer. They said, we'll have the job for you when you come back. Don't worry. It'll be here. So sure enough, I called. They're like, yep, absolutely. We already built in a raise for you. And, and so I went back down. And, and the second year I went back down, I said, hey, um, I'm going to be more involved in the church this time, so I can't work any weekends. They said, not a problem. They just gave me favor, favor, favor. Now I look in hindsight, and I'm like, well, thank you, Jesus, for the time that I was spent there, that it took me over here. And there's hundreds of more. Stories just like that. I can look back now and I can see God's, how God used what I went through, where I was, to prepare me for where God wanted me to be. Joseph saw it when he was in it. And we know it because of the way that he worked in the circumstances that he was in. He did it heartily unto the Lord, so much so that everybody realized it was his God giving him the blessing. I think one of the reasons that Joseph forgave the way that Joseph forgave is he realized God can use anything and you can't ruin my life. What you did didn't screw up God's plan for me. Let me just say this to you. I don't know what's been done to you, taken from you. I don't know what your story is, but what I do know is what has happened to you cannot, will not, and did not screw up the plan that God has for you, no matter what it was. No matter what they didn't do, no matter how wronged you were, no matter how wrong what they did was, God can still use you. And God's plan for you, he did not abandon because of what somebody did to you or the, even the mistake that you made. But the truth is, I think we abandon God's plan for us so much easier when it's something that was done to us because we think, well, now it's done. Joseph 
had the ability to see. And he's like, no, it was God. God is the one that used this. He used this. So Joseph forgives his brothers. In fact, he tells them, he says, go get my father, get everything you own and come here. The famine's going to be severe. He said, there's five more years of it. Come, I'll see that you're all taken care of. So Joseph's brothers go home. They tell their father, hey, Joseph is alive. I wish we had a little bit more on that conversation. I really do. I really do. Hey, you know the one that we said was dead. I guess we didn't you know the coat. Well, we were the coat. And, and, the, and they know their dad's going to actually talk to Joseph, so he's actually going to get this. I mean, come, we don't have any of that in there. We do not have that. But what we see happens is the joy in Joseph's father that his son is alive. He's overjoyed, sure enough. He doesn't believe them at first, but the whole family moves to Egypt. The whole family moves to Egypt, and they're all there. And then, 17 years later, Joseph's father dies. So those brothers have been living in Egypt this entire time. Now Joseph's father dies, and the brothers are like, oh, no. Like, do you think the reason why, like, Joseph didn't kick our butts was really just because dad was around? Like, is that the one thing that's stopping him from giving us what we know we deserve? And so they freak out. They freak out. Genesis 50, verse 15, and it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge? Then he will surely repay us for all the evil that we did to him. Verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, before he died, your father commanded. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I beg you, please forgive the transgression and sin of your brothers, for they did you wrong. So now, Joseph, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. So, did anybody catch a I'm sorry in there? Anybody see a sorry, like we shouldn't have done it? I don't. Those manipulative brothers that were like, we didn't tell dad you were dead. We just kind of covered your, your coat, your special coat that he gave you in blood. No, no, no. Now what are they doing? Joseph, we know that Joseph met with his father before his father died, introduced him to some of his grandkids, and they blessed, and they had some great conversation. Joseph's father had the chance. If he wanted to say this, he could have said it directly to Joseph, but he didn't. Instead, we have the brothers that are like, hey, um, yeah, this is what dad said. He, and he doesn't say dad said it. What does it say? He says, our father, this is verse 16, our father commanded you. They don't apologize. They don't say we're sorry. We know we were so wronged. You've been so great. Thank you. They don't say any of that. Verse 19, but Joseph replied, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? As for you, which you intended against me for evil, God intended for good. In order to accomplish a day like this, to preserve the lives of many, therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So Joseph reassured his brothers and spoke kindly to them. It was in his power to do whatever he wanted. He could take vengeance. He could get even. Now dad's dead he doesn't. 
But I want you to catch something here. Guess what? Joseph's brothers never apologize. They didn't apologize. Ever. Instead, they say, please forgive. Your, well, they say that their dad said it, right? Forgive your brothers. And what's Joseph's response? Joseph's response is, am I in the place of God? He's like, I, it, 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 it's already done. So how is it that we forgive? And this is a huge one. This is a test, and all of these tests, and every single one of them, we said every week, you'll pass it once, but it doesn't mean you're done. Because it just the world keeps spinning, we go right back around, and guess what these tests do too? They're going to show back up. The forgiveness test is no different. And, but Joseph forgave. So how did he do it? Well, number one, let me just ask this. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Anybody ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer, it's, it, it's found in Matthew 6. And it's where Jesus' disciples came to him and they're like, hey, teach us how to pray. And in Matthew 6, verse 9, he says this. And this is Jesus talking. He tells his disciples, and you're probably familiar with this, very, very likely. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then this is the part we're really going to zoom on, okay? So give us this day our daily bread. And, and this is verse 12, and forgive our debts, our sins, is what some of your Bibles will say, as we have forgiven our debtors, or those that have sinned against us, and lead us not into temptation. But what does it say in verse 12? It says, forgive us as we forgive others. You ever catch that? I've always caught on to that like, yeah, it says forgive me because I know I need it. But it literally says, forgive me the way that I forgive others. So you're like, I prayed that? Oh, no. (laughs) You know, like, hold on a second. Because do we really want that? Do I really want God to forgive me the way that I forgive other people? Like that, I'll forgive you until it's convenient to bring it back up later, or you know, then I will. Or I'll forgive you until I need something from you or you to do something for me, and so then I'll bring it back up. Oh, I'll forgive you as long as everything is okay, but if you ever, I'll bring this up. Because if that's how we forgive... Is that, we, we literally just pray, God, forgive us the way that we forgive. Forgiveness is one of the most important tests that we can ever pass. It's the key to any great relationship or marriage. You're going to have to forgive. Some of you are thinking about the holidays and families and what's coming up and you're like, There's so much unforgiveness, you're like, just thinking about it. Because so-and-so hasn't forgiven so-and-so who hasn't forgiven, and this happened over here, and like, you don't even get together, or what do do these get-togethers look like? But we are meant to forgive. And God says, okay, how are we meant to forgive? Colossians 3.13 says it this way. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 
It doesn't say the simple ones. It doesn't say the nice ones. It says forgive. And then how are we supposed to do it? Here's what it says. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's how we're supposed to do it. And it's like, okay, well then how? How, how, how does God forgive you and I? What is it that he does? Well, in Psalms 103, this is how it says that God forgives us. It says, he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. North and south is measurable. You get that, right? You can go far enough north that now you need to go south. You're going south. But you can never go so far east that you're suddenly going west. It just keeps going and going. It's gone. How does God forgive our sin? As far as east is from the west. The Bible says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. It's gone. You're not going to find it again. You and I, how are we meant to forgive? We're meant to forgive the way Christ forgave us. And I know when I say that, some people get a little scared. Because they think, well, if I forgive, does that, make, does that mean it's okay? No. You forgiving somebody else doesn't mean that what they did, didn't do, or what happened, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it was okay that it happened. It means that we're a little bit more like Christ. It doesn't mean that we treat them like it never happened. Somebody who steals, and you know they stole from you, and now they're like, hey, let's go into business together. And you're like, mm, no. But haven't, didn't you forgive me? Well, yeah, I did. But you got to earn that trust back. Forgiveness is I'm not going to use that against you. I'm not going to hold that against you. Forgiveness doesn't mean you act like it never happened. Because there's some things that have been, may have been done and lines that have been crossed. And so now there needs to be different boundaries in place because of what somebody did. Because of a hurt that happened. Absolutely. But what forgiveness does is it frees you and I from our past. It gives it over to God. You want to know what forgiveness doesn't need? Forgiveness doesn't even need another person. Well, what did they do to me? You don't know how bad it was. I don't. I don't. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus is talking and he says this. He says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, but I tell you this to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And honestly, I think that's one of the keys to actually walking out forgiveness. Because I think, I don't know what it's been like for you, but I've forgiven. And then, you ever forgive somebody and then you see them and you're like, I don't know if it worked. <laughs> you know, I know I did, but... It says, pray for those who persecute you. Because I've had that, and I thought, man, it must not have taken. i got to forgive him again. Number one is forgiveness isn't a cliff that we jump off of. It's a road that we walk. And we see him, and we say, I forgive you. 
And it might mean that some things changed because trust was broken or what happened, and I don't know the details, but we forgive them. And then we pray for them. And here's what praying for them does. It changes something on, in our hearts. When we go from wanting to pray that the fleas of a thousand camels would infest their armpits, you know, just like, well, God, just, just pray that their life be short. No, don't play those prayers. You're like, I'll pray for them. No, I mean really praying for them. So God bless them. God, they need you. They need forgiveness. They need hope. You pray for them, it's going to change things on the inside of you. And we realize that we need to forgive the same way that Christ forgave us. And you want to leave the past behind? You forgive. You forgive. And then you let it go. And you move on to what God has for you. Many years ago, it was... was, 1649, King Charles I was actually executed. Parliament got together and the things that he did, and some were afraid to do it and some weren't. But this was 1649, King Charles was executed. Now, King Charles II ended up, and the monarchy got reinstated in 1660. King Charles II rose to power. One of the things that he said, he's like, okay, everybody who signed, That death warrant, I want them all executed. But some of them had already died. But there was a few in Parliament that, oh, he's like, death wasn't good enough. So he ordered on the anniversary of King Charles' actual death, he's like, okay, you want to know what we're going to do? Their bodies need to be dug up. They're going to be tried, hung deheaded, and then their bodies are going to be thrown into a pit. Like, that's what needs to happen. They're already dead. You talk about digging up the past? He's like, they physically did. He's like, it's not enough that they're dead. It's done. You can't change the past. Don't be like the guys like, go dig them up. Here we go. Let's just dig in the... No. Again, forgiveness doesn't mean that we act like it never happened. But when we forgive... We don't let them, we we let go of our past. Unforgiveness, I I love this. I've heard it so many times. But unforgiveness is drinking poison yourself and expecting somebody else to die. It's the poison that we drink. A couple years ago, somebody from middle school, I ran into him. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey. And we, we, we talked for a little bit. And it just got a little awkward. I'm like, What's up? And he's like, well, I want you to know, I forgive you. And I'm like, I didn't laugh, but I really wanted to. And I'm like, I haven't seen you in like 20, 30 years, whatever it is. What do you mean you forgive me? Is what I wanted to say. He's like, I forgive you. And I'm like, okay. I had no idea what he was talking about. Zero idea. And it took me like 10 minutes just to remember his name. And he's like, I forgive you. I have no idea what it was. Now, good on him for doing it. I have no clue what I did. Sometimes 
Don't think this. Just, just don't think that you holding on to that unforgiveness punishes the other person in any way, shape, or form. Half the time, they don't even know it. They don't even know how mad we are. Sometimes we've told them, and yet they know. But forgiveness, forgiveness sets us free from the past. Forgiveness sets you and me free. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says this, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. I love what it says. If you're praying, he's like, if you're just standing there and you're like, you're praying and you realize there's some unforgiveness, he's like, you can deal with it right there. He doesn't say if you're in church. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. He says, if you're standing, if you're praying, you're ready and you can do it. You can forgive. Just forgive them. Something you say in your heart, maybe for you, you need to say those words out loud. And you're like, I just, I just need to say it. But God said, look at what he says. If you stand praying, if you hold something against someone, forgive them. Why? So that your heavenly Father can hear your prayers. So that your prayers are not hindered is literally what it says. And so that your heavenly Father may forgive your sins is what this one says. If, if I don't forgive, if we don't forgive, God's like, I want to forgive you. But here's what we are. You and I are the forgiving forgiven. And this type of forgiveness, let me just say what it is. It's divine. And we can forgive this way because we've experienced that forgiveness. I don't know your story. But here's what I know. God's plan and purpose for your life, the things that have happened to you, been done to you, your story, God can use it, and you can use it to bring him glory. Forgiveness, that other person, they may be here, they may be gone, they may be dead, I don't know, but forgiveness is yours to, it's yours to give. And it's a simple prayer away of just saying, God, I forgive him. And then it's a road that we walk out when we see him. Maybe you say in the words and you're like, you know, the feelings, they're, they're there. I know, I know I forgave. Maybe you see him next time and you're like, nope, I need to pray for him again. Maybe you hear about what's going on or, or their feed pops up or an Instagram that shows up and you're like, you know what? I need to pray again. That feeling that I get when I see that, I, I need to pray for him. But here's what's going to happen. God's going to change some things inside you. You want to you move on from that past? Forgive and watch what God can do in and through you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? As we're here this morning, that forgiveness that I'm talking about giving, I mean it with all my heart when I say it's divine and we can give it because we've received it. You're here this morning, you say, I want to receive that forgiveness. I want, to, I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I want to know where I stand with God. If that's you, I'd love the honor of praying with you. Or maybe today's the day that you just say, I'm done tiptoeing. I'm giving God all that I am. I'm going all in. 
For either of those, I'd love the honor of praying with you right in your seat. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, and we're going to pray together. And when we say amen, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and begin to walk out the plan and purpose that he has for you. If that's you, I want you to be super bold. You're going to lift that hand right in your seat for me to see. Get ready. You, me, and God. Here we go. One, all the way up. Two, three. Right now, lift it up and say, that's me. And today is my day. Awesome. All right, here's what I want us to do. Hands down. Let's just all pray this prayer with those that lifted their hands. Online, you too, let's just all say this together. Everybody repeat it to me. Say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm yours. I believe that you came, that you shed your blood, and you died so I could be free. From now on, I'm yours. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.